today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I wonder if we stop to think that in our efforts to make the gospel message attractive, we are drawing a curtain across the face of Jesus in His humiliation. The only one who can make him attractive is the Holy Spirit. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Sharing Jesus is great, but you have to be careful while doing so. You can't deny that there are parts of Scripture that are hard or convicting to read. But in today's message, Pastor J.D. wants you to know that it's a disservice to the cross itself to water down the gospel. We have the whole Bible for a reason, so let's use it. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Oh, that is good news. Well, this is interesting. Why feet? I've shared very candidly again, and I don't like feet. I'm sorry. I don't even like my own feet, so please don't, you know. I just, there's something, well, you have to understand, in the Middle Eastern culture to this day, the feet are considered the most un- I mean, first of all, they're the dirtiest part of the body, especially in that culture in that day, which is why, by the way, they would wash the feet of a guest before entering the home, which is why, by the way, we have the account in the gospel when Jesus says to them, listen, you didn't even bother to wash my feet when I came here. She's washing my feet with her tears. Shame on you. It was a cultural dynamic to wash the feet. But here we're reading about the feet being beautiful. Well, (laughs) I realize this is a a well-known and often quoted verse, but the truth of the matter is the feet, which are not the most beautiful part of the body, are such when they carry or bring the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Those feet are beautiful because of what those feet bring. How beautiful are the feet? Now we see a sort of a parallel to this in Ephesians chapter 6, very well-known passage concerning the spiritual armor, the shoes of readiness with the gospel of peace, the feet shod the feet. Very important and very beautiful, those feet 
upon the mountains, because those feet are bringing and carrying good news. What's the good news? Because I could use some good news right now. Oh, peace, glad tidings, good things, salvation, (laughs) good news. Where do I sign? You don't have to. He already signed for you when He died for you. Maybe if you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, please hear this. The good news is, is that Jesus is coming to take us out of this evil world, just like He came to take them out of captivity in Babylon. That's the good news. Jesus is coming, and He brings with Him salvation. This is a proclamation of salvation. Verse 8, your watchmen, this is interesting, watchmen, you know the watchmen on the wall, the ones that are commissioned and commanded to keep watch and warn the people of any coming threats, your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, verse 9. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord, verse 10, has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Oh, this is again as poetic as it is prophetic. This making bare of one's arm is actually a Hebrew idiom, which carries with it the idea of rolling up one's arm sleeves, bearing the arm to get to work. This is the work that God is going to do. Rejoice, break forth, and sing together. Your Redeemer is coming. The watchmen are going to lift up their voices. I I have to say, I think I'd be grossly remiss if I didn't, that verse 8 where it says, for they shall see eye to eye. That kind of bothers me a little bit, because the inference is, is that the watchman did not see eye to eye prior. They're going to see eye to eye. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to leave that one right there and move on to verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you, verse 12, shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Sounds like God's got this. He goes before you and He's your rear guard behind you. 
This is yet another dual prophecy for them then, but also for us now. And it has to do with the call to be a pure vessel of honor, as the Apostle Paul would write, sanctified and useful for the Master. Simply put, it's a call to purity. Touch no unclean thing. I'm going to deliver you out of Babylon. Do not take anything from there. Go out from the midst of her and be clean. Be clean. It's remaining clean in a filthy and evil world. Verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just, verse 14, as many were astonished at you, and this is where it gets a little intense, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. You know what this is referring to, right? It's referring to the horrific, unspeakable crucifixion of the Savior. He was marred more than any man. And notice... They were speechless. They said nothing. I'm struck by the account recorded in the Gospels when Jesus, after being, and please, I, we're going to talk about this in a moment, and this is hard to hear, I realize, but Jesus was unrecognizable. He was so bludgeoned and beaten and abused. His face was again marred more than any man. And there's this account where he's brought before Pilate, and here's Pilate. He's seen a few things in his time. This isn't his first rodeo. This man is brought to him after being whipped 39 times again. 39, because 40 would kill him. In fact, it would be even rare for them to survive 39. But Jesus is brought before Pilate as bloodied as he was. Some Bible commentators and Bible scholars actually very graphically describe his physical condition. You have to understand, his back was down to the bone. Down to the bone. And we have the detail, graphic detail, in the Gospels recorded for us about how he was beaten. How many times was he hit in the face? I wonder if his face, and again, you'll forgive me, it's raw, 
but it needs to be, as we're going to see in a moment. But I wonder if even you could make out from the blood, you know how vascular the forehead is? And I mean, years ago I cut open my forehead so I could get a mark. No, no, that's not why. (laughs) I just want to make sure you're still with me. I was at an auction and I stood up and I I sliced open my forehead. You can actually still see a little bit of the scar. And I mean, blood was pouring out of my forehead. And I even asked, you know, a couple of my friends who were calling the ambulance, they were freaking out. And I'm thinking, how much blood's in the human body? Because I'm looking at this puddle over here, and that's kind of a lot. And I kind of need to get to the hospital, and they need to sew it up, and they did. I don't mean to be too graphic, but consider this. I wonder if his face was so red from the blood that poured out. And here's Pilate. How many times has he seen this before? And what does he say? He says, behold, the man. He was astonished and stunned. This is no ordinary man. I've never seen this before. I've never seen a man beaten like this, standing before me like this. I've seen no man survive this. Behold the man. That's all he could say. Here Isaiah writes, no one could say no thing without words. They could not speak. I like the wording, the way it's translated here in the New King James. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. I think they need to shut their mouths. Can I say that? I just did. (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. Speak nothing. Well, let's spill into chapter 53, for lack of a better way of saying it. But actually from verse 13 on into chapter 53, they really kind of go together. You understand there were no chapter and verse breaks in the original manuscripts, but this carries over this graphic description of the crucifixion of the Savior, carries over into this next chapter. And I want to preface chapter 53 this way. If you go to Israel today, they will not read this chapter. Wait, you mean they they read the rest of the? Oh yeah. They skip over this chapter. They will not read chapter 53 of Isaiah. Now, as a Christian, if you talk with a Jew about Isaiah chapter 53, they will likely say to you something along the lines of, that is not about the Messiah. That is about the nation Israel. That's what the rabbis will say. But they skip over it. They dare not read it because it is a chapter about their Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Verse 1, 
Who has believed our report? This is a rhetorical question. Too good to be true. Who's going to believe this? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For, verse 2, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Ah, we're off to a horrible start, aren't we? Wait, what? Okay, let's try to work our way through this here. Let me see if I got this straight. So the Savior is going to come at a time when there is spiritual dryness and even literal dryness, yeah. He'll be this tender plant as a root out of dry ground, and there's not going to be anything extraordinary about him. In fact, outwardly, when you look at him, you're not going to look at him and go, Oh, it's the Savior. No, no there's nothing about him. In fact, outwardly, there's nothing that would stand out outwardly. You ready for this? This is what I mean by, <laughs> I had to get reacquainted with Jesus. Because I have, just like the next guy, done what everyone does. And I've painted this magnificent, beautiful picture of the Savior. By the way, he doesn't have... He <laughs> The pictures, would you please, this picture that we have of Jesus, I just want you to know that's not what he, he looked like. <laughs> he just looked like any ordinary guy at the time. He wasn't outstanding, he wasn't tall, he wasn't extraordinarily handsome. In fact, pretty ordinary looking. Does that mess you up? There was nothing outwardly about him. His outward appearance was not attractive. Can I say it like that? That's what Isaiah is writing here. You know, I haven't done this in a while, but I asked the Lord about it, and I decided to do it today. I haven't been quoting from commentaries much recently, but I happened upon this commentary from Alan Redpath, who's of course now with the Lord, and I think it would be so apropos. I want to share it with you because it speaks to this dynamic concerning how Jesus looked outwardly. He writes this, These days it appears that we must dress up the gospel to make it attractive. We have to use the methods of technique, which must be smart, well presented, streamlined. There must be something about the presentation of the gospel that will appeal to people, to what is called the modern mind. I wonder if we stop to think that 
in our efforts to make the gospel message attractive, we are drawing a curtain across the face of Jesus in His humiliation. The only one who can make Him attractive is the Holy Spirit. You see why I wanted to share that? Again, I have to confess, I'm, I'm just as guilty as this, as the next guy. There's something innate within all of us, I think, that wants to kind of sanitize and clean up and make more attractive the Savior. So he's more appealing. You know, let's say, let's, uh, you know, kind of take the edge off of this and let's not get so, you don't have to talk about that. And I wonder, what Jesus are we preaching? If there's an invitation, to what Jesus are we inviting the people to? Is this a a more attractive Jesus? Have we sought in our own efforts to kind of make it a little bit more palatable, more plausible, more amicable? Because if I present Jesus in this rawness, and bloodiness, I don't think that's very attractive. And they won't be attracted to Him. The Holy Spirit's the one who attracts us to the Savior. And oh, by the way, let's be very careful when it comes to cleaning up all the blood. You know when the Israelites would have to sacrifice an animal there in the tabernacle and subsequently the temple. It was a bloody mess, and rightfully so, because that blood was shed. The blood of that innocent sacrifice was shed in their stead, and it was meant to be raw, and it was meant to be real. And shame on any who would take the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant, and clean it up, make it more attractive, more seeker-friendly, more user-friendly. I want to ask you the question, and this again, bear with me please. The Jesus that I'm getting reacquainted with, is a Jesus that when we behold Him, we're told in Revelation, we're going to wince. And conversely, get this, when we see Satan, we're going to be astonished. It's going to be jaw-dropping. It's going to be breathtaking. You know why? Because he was beautiful. In fact, we're told that when we see Him, there's going to be this response like, that's Him? 
He's the one that deceived the nations. You're kidding me. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel's mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth.